Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, my very special guest is Jamie Pennebucker. He is a researcher and now Regent Professor of Psychology down in the University of Texas in Austin. And Jamie is the pioneer of the expressive writing technique that is increasingly being used around the world for treating people with chronic pain. So it's a great privilege to have you here, Jamie, and talking to me today. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Excellent. Let's go back in time. You know, I know you started off in the 1980s with this interest. So just tell us about the first study that you did relating expressive writing with helping health benefits. So it goes back even before the the mid-80s. I was doing research on physical symptoms and how people feel what they do. And I did a a large-scale survey and asked a question just out of curiosity, asking people if prior to the age of 17, had they had a traumatic sexual experience? And what I discovered was that a surprisingly high percentage of students, somewhere between 11 and 20% of the students, reported having had a traumatic sexual experience. And those people who reported it had far more health problems. They were sicker, they went to the doctor more and so forth. I ended up doing a, a national samples project with about 20,000 people and discovered that adults who reported having early traumatic experiences, both sexual and others, had far more health problems. And when I started to study it more closely, it wasn't a traumatic sexual experience that was a problem was having any major experience that they had not talked to other people about that they had kept secret. And this made me wonder, if having a trauma is bad for you and keeping it secret is worse, what if we brought people in the laboratory and had them in some way disclose an important secret? And that's what got me on this because I quickly figured out having people come in the lab and talk about secrets was too complicated because I didn't know how to react. Instead, I brought people in and I had them go into a room by themselves and write about the most dramatic experience they've had. And I had them write for four days for 15 minutes a day, never gave them any feedback about it, never connected what they had written with who they were, and discovered that those people who had been in this early experiment, and this study was done with, by and large, healthy college students, Half of the students were randomly assigned to write about traumas, and the other half were asked to write about superficial topics. And we found that those people who wrote about traumas that they had kept secret were much more likely to show major health improvements over the next several months compared to people in our controls. And that first study was published in 1986. And from then, we started doing other 
studies and then other labs and other parts of the world started do them, doing them. And now there've been hundreds, perhaps thousands of uh, laboratory studies looking at the power of writing and exploring how it's related to all types of health problems, including chronic pain. So you're now sharing, Jamie, that there's been thousands of research articles on this subject around health benefits. But let's talk more about the ones related to pain in particular. What are the main ones that you've been involved with or you've read on this subject? It might be helpful for me to give you just a little bit of background. I'm a social psychologist. I'm not a physician. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't help people, at least not directly. I don't have any clinical training. And I got into this work because I was fascinated just by the question, what is it about a secret that's bad for you? And why in the world would writing about it be good for you? So, that, so I come at this from a very different perspective than you would, who, who works with uh, patients. I have never actually done any studies myself with chronic pain patients. I've been a collaborator on projects. And so I've worked with people who are experiencing pain, but I haven't been in the lab and talking to patients per se. The studies I know best are by friends on wound healing, people with chronic arthritis. And I know some wonderful case studies by a group in Seattle. I know of of other projects that have been done in Mexico, in Japan, and so forth. So keep in mind, I haven't gotten my hands dirty in the field the way that a physician does. Okay. So... um In this area, I know talking to my colleague in Seattle, Dr. David Hanscom, and, you know, he's involved with patients, you know, every day, and he's now got years of experience advising on the subject of expressive writing. And it's something I'm beginning to increasingly do myself with my patients. And I'm beginning to see, you know, interesting feedback and results. Do you want to just share, like, what is actually going on in the brain? when people are expressing themselves on paper? The reality is we don't know what's going on in the brain. We can make a number of educated guesses. But I'd like you to imagine this scenario because I think many of us have had something like this. I remember one of the things that influenced me early in my research was my wife and I were married. We were quite young. And as anybody who's been in a long-term relationship knows, those first few years have some ups and downs. We were going through a particularly difficult time. And I'll never forget, we had had this ongoing major disagreement that had gone on for you know three or four days. And I think both of us were thinking, oh my God, this would this relationship last? And I remember just going to a room by myself and just sitting down and writing, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? Why are we having this problem? This reminds me of another time that this had happened with us. I wonder if it could be this. And as I started writing, all of a sudden, things started to fall together. And I started to see some patterns in myself and in our relationship that I hadn't seen before. And just putting it together somehow was freeing. And I'll never forget, as soon as I finished writing, and I didn't write for more than 10 or 15 minutes, I got up and in my mind, this was over. I get it. And I remember going in later talking about what I had written about and what I feel was important 
at least for me. And we had a really straight, honest conversation. And it was as though the clouds disappeared and I felt alive. I could feel biologically I was different. Which part of the brains were involved? Probably lots. The brain is associated with everything. And so, yes, it happens in the brain. We can do uh, uh, imaging studies to prove it, but we don't really need to prove it because we know biologically it's true. We know there's a change in our immune system. We know that we sleep better. We know all these other changes are occurring once a really difficult problem has been resolved in some way. And I guess that would correlate with some of the experiences with my patients where you know, they just feel different That's with, right. with themselves. That's exactly right. And I'm going to guess with a lot of your patients, one thing that they discover is after they do this, they sleep better. And one of the interesting things that hasn't been studied enough in psychology or psychiatry or in medicine in general is sleep. We know sleep is related to immune function. We know it's related to depression. We know it's related to chronic pain. And it's also circular. You can't sleep because of the pain, but you're having pain because you can't sleep. And one of the things that writing does is help to get through the issues that we're dealing with, sometimes that we don't even acknowledge to ourselves. Once we've done that, it opens the door to better sleep. Now, you know, you talk about writing for about 10 minutes. The reality of the struggle for me and the last you know, few months of integrating this as a regular practice is actually getting people to do it. And it's like, well, and what I'm beginning to do is just get them to purchase post-it pads and keep it on them just as an introduction to the process of hand on paper and just start that process. I feel X about Y, you know, I feel frustrated mm-hmm. about this and, and through the day, make it a practice where they just can ponder, reflect for a moment, get it on paper and get the habit going. And hopefully from there, you know, write more. So let me undermine your world, son. <laughs> I, hate, I hate writing a lot. I, okay. I've never written a lot. Okay. I write when things are really terrible. And I try to avoid writing as long as I can. And if you ask me to write every day, I wouldn't do it. Because I don't think it's necessarily beneficial. Okay. When things are particularly bad, I'll write. Yes. And if things are going well, I'm not going to write. Even if things are just going okay, I'm probably not going to write. You know, and I, as I say, I'm not a therapist, but I have enough people asking my advice. And what I tell them is, look, you're dealing with some major issues in your life. Do this. Just promise yourself you'll write for 15 minutes a day for the next, let's say, three or four days. If at the end of three days, you don't feel as though it's doing any good, stop writing. It's free. Who cares? Or if you still want to try, you're not probably writing in a good way. Try to change the way you're writing. Maybe change your perspective. Maybe write with your left hand instead of your right hand. Or maybe talk out loud or try something else. But be an experimenter. Try to figure out what might work. And if after the end of three or four days, you feel a lot better and you feel like you don't need to write anymore, don't write anymore. Your life is going to fall apart again in the next few months or years. Remember this technique, it works. But don't think of this as something that you have to do. 
like, it's not like doing the dishes every day. This is more, I think of it as kind of a, a self-correcting method that you use and you use it as needed. To give you an example, I probably write once, sometimes I'll write twice about the same event. I don't ever go back and read what I've written. I've done it a few times in my life and I go look at what I've written and I think, my God, I've got the most sad, pathetic life ever. But the reality is I only write when I'm sad and pathetic. And now some people I know really like to go back and read what they've written and edit it and really think about it a lot. If that's good for you, great, try it. it there's no true way here. It's really important to appreciate. There is no true way. And what works for me probably won't work for you. But this is where you need to experiment and see what works. Some people like to write in a ritualistic way. They light a candle and they uh, go into a dark room. Other people like to go out somewhere in the wilderness and write. Other people really will talk into a tape recorder or will sing and just making up verses that fit the issues they're trying to deal with. So that's really, to me, is the way to think about this as opposed to providing too much structure. So um, what do you maybe suggest then if, if I, you know, suggest this technique to patients and, and they've tried it for a couple of days and their pain is the same because they've had pain for a long time. What would you suggest then? I'd say, you know, give it at least three or four days. Um, and if there is absolutely no change, then it's what they're doing is not working. Now, I would urge them maybe to try try writing in a very different way. And there, you know, there are a lot of different ways. Some people who really benefit a lot from talking and just even talking to a tape recorder. I've had other people who will try something like some kind of movement. It could be some kind of expressive movement that it, that expresses how they're feeling, or maybe uh, do artwork or do something with their hands in some nonverbal way. But, but what we found find is that if you do that, follow it up with writing. That is, I did this movie, you could write this, I did this movement and it made me feel really different and I think this is what was going on. And I say this because our research has found that Translating these nonverbal changes into language seems to cement the changes more than if you just do the movement itself. That language is somehow bringing about more fundamental cognitive change. You know, you've mentioned in one of your books that you've written these different styles of writing. You know, I, I'll let you mention that use your other hand because I guess it just uses different parts of your brain and can access different cognitive neural firings up there in the brain. What are a few others that just come to mind? One is to perhaps try to make a story of it. Another one is to, if you're trying to deal with an experience that, you know, you've never talked to other people about, you don't even want to acknowledge it to yourself. Merely writing about it in the third person as though it's somebody else, as many people find that to be beneficial. Try putting it to verse, try Anything that you think might be beneficial for you. So the three, four days and then get a break and maybe come back to it again um, if they're feeling, you know, appropriate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there any current um, studies that you're involved with right now that's 
related to maybe just pain or other you know issues like sleep or depression or anxiety? Well, what happened with me was I did those early works on writing and was involved in many different types of research, looking at how people cope with bereavement, how people deal with physical harm, how people deal with certain types of traumas, looking at relationship issues, all sorts of things like that. And that led me to start looking at the ways people were writing. And I became fascinated with analyzing what was healthy versus unhealthy writing. And that led me to a completely down a different path. So beginning in the late 90s, I developed a computer program that analyzed language. And the computer program is called Linguistic Inquiry and Word Count, or LIWC, or we call it LUKE. And the computer program has now gone through several uh, iterations. And what it's allowed me to do is start to look at how we can get a better sense of people's psychological state by the way they use words in everyday language. And it also allowed me to analyze how people wrote. And, and it gave me an, a better sense of what makes for healthy writing in general. And a number of things have come out from this. The first is people are more likely to benefit if they can write about a horrible experience but still acknowledge their emotions, especially their positive emotions. Now, I'm not talking about being chipper and upbeat and pretending things are fine, but being able to just acknowledge positive emotions. So a person who says, I'm going through tremendous pain and I'm, I'm not happy about it. I sometimes feel no one cares about me. Now, what's interesting about that is the person still uses the word happy and not happy and care, no one cares. But they're still thinking along this dimension of happiness and caring, which is very different from people are rejecting me and I'm sad. In other words, being able to even frame what you're saying and acknowledging positive emotions is beneficial. But there's another side that's even more important. And that is, it's not having a story that explains what's happened. It's more important in the construction of the story. What I discovered early on, I had certain preconceptions about what were good writing, good writing samples. So a person would come to the lab and they'd write a story. And if they, you know, really let out their hearts, they had a great story to explain what happened, I think, yes, they're going to really benefit. And very often they didn't. And, and one reason was they had a set story to explain their misery. And in fact, this was something that I discovered early on. One thing that happened with me was the first studies I did on expressive writing made the news media and I would go to parties and I was like a trauma magnet. People would come over and tell me these horrible stories. Now, because I wasn't a clinician, this had never happened before and I found it fascinating. And at the back of my mind, I thought, well, this will be good for them because many of the people who came to me who told me these horrible stories also had major health problems. And a lot of them, and now that I think about it, were involved chronic pain. And at the back of my mind, I would think, well, they're going to really benefit from telling me this horrible story. And then I'd see them again 
maybe at another party the next year. And they come up and they would tell me exactly the same story. And I started to realize that these people were telling the same story over and over and over again. They were not, they weren't growing from the story. And what I had discovered in our studies was that the people who benefited from writing changed in the way that they were thinking about their experience over the three or four days of writing. They were putting things together. They were working through issues. They were using words like realize, understand, because they were putting things together in constructing a story. Now, what's important is not having a story, but constructing another way to think about it. So if you have what I would recommend to a, a, a client for suffering from chronic pain, if they find themselves telling the same story of how this happened over and over again, stop and now go back and rethink this. What happened? What are you not admitting to yourself? What, what other issues may have been going on? How has this changed you since the accident or since the pain started? In other words, start putting things together in a different way. And then one other thing that we discovered in the analysis of language was that the people who benefited also were able to change perspectives in their writing. So for example, we often would find that the people who benefited the most one day would talk a lot about perhaps their experience. And then the next day they might look at it from a different perspective, kind of addressing how does this other person think? How are they feeling about it? In other words, this ability to change perspectives is really important. It's, a, it's kind of this ability to psychologically distance yourself from this event. So those are some of the things that we've discovered in our analysis of language that I think is really starting to tell us more and more about how we put stories together in a way that is ultimately beneficial for us. Well, thank you for that, Jamie. I, I love that up-to-date information. And we just need to wrap up the interview here. So is there any resources or websites that our audience could go to to learn more about this work? There are. And if they just Google my name and go to my website, on that website at my university, uh, one of the links is, I think it's called Writing and Health. And if you go there, it'll give you just some simple uh, guidelines on writing. And there's some references there that can be beneficial. So that's your name is... James Pennybaker? Right, Pennybaker. P-E-N-N-E-B-A-K-E-R. B-A-K-E-R. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, again, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing your, your years of experience. And I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Great. I wish you the best as well. <laughs>